Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. As Christians, we often make the mistake of condemning others while not seeing our own faults. We consistently fail to understand the depth of our own sin while all the while pointing out the sins of others. It's our responsibility, as Jesus told us, to first get the log out of our own eye that we may see clearly how to get the speck out of our brother's eye. Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 8 and look at this incredible account of Jesus freeing, forgiving, and delivering the woman caught in adultery. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Friday morning here in Texas and, you know, hopefully we're all just just rocking for Jesus. It's a uh it's just it's our greatest privilege to just grow to know Jesus. We say it every week. It's just life is about living for Jesus, loving for Jesus, giving for Jesus and forgiving for Jesus. This is the lifestyle we ought to have moment by moment, day by day as Christians, as disciples of Jesus Christ. It's uh, it's how we grow to deepen our relationship with him is, is when we obey him, is when we live for him, um, when we spend time in the scriptures, in the living word of God. It's, 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 it feeds our soul and spirit and helps us to know Jesus better. Um, when we spend time in prayer, when we spend time in thanksgiving, just thanking the Lord for, for everything he's done. Um, it's how we grow in relationship with the triune God, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit. We often forget, or we don't even realize that there are three separate beings, three individual beings. They're all God. They all have the nature of God. They're all almighty God. They're all, all powerful. They're all, all knowing, um, and in and through Jesus Christ. We grow to know God the Father as our heavenly Father. Um, we grow to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior and Master and King, God the Son. And we grow in relationship with God the Holy Spirit who lives in us and is one with us in spirit. Um, we grow to know the Holy Spirit as our guide, our counselor, and our comforter. So there's nothing, nothing greater or more important in our lives than growing to know Jesus. So... Thank you, Lord Jesus. Today, we're going to discuss John 8, verses 1 through 11. We had finished John 7, and so we're into John 8. It's interesting. In, in, in your Bible, you will see at the end of John 7, you'll see that it says that the earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have John 7.53 through 8.11. 753 simply says, then each went to his own home. And then verses 1 through 11 in chapter 8 are, are about the woman caught in adultery and how Jesus deals with this situation where the, the religious leaders are, uh, you know, have used her as a trap for Jesus. And the original manuscripts. The, the, the first, like when John wrote the Gospel of John, 
and it was recopied and recopied and recopied and recopied. We actually have around 5,300, I think it is, um, just, just very clear, unambiguous, almost perfect manuscripts. They're not perfect. They may have a letter off here or a word off here. But like 5,300 manuscripts that uh, from which we get our Bible. And that's more evidence than almost anything we have anywhere in all ancient history. We have more evidence of the New Testament than we have in, in, in any like ancient historical documents by far. It's incredible. But the earliest of those that we have do not have this story in this place in John. Now, scholars say that, that it's almost certain that the story happened, that it's real. Some, some have it at the end of the book of John. Some have this story in Luke. So the story was, was brought in to the gospel of John, you know, by we don't know how many manuscripts down or how many times it was copied before this story happened. But historically, the story is accurate. Historically, Jesus did. This, this did happen. These are the words of Jesus. And we have absolute belief that, 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 that this story is true. Uh, it's probably doesn't, it didn't probably belong in John's account right here. But like I said, it, it might have been at the end of John or it might have been in Luke's account. And so that's why we do have it as part of our Bible, as part of the word of God. So you'll see a note in your Bible there, and that's that's what this means. So we're going to go ahead and, uh, and pray, and we're going to read it. And it's just an incredible story, and then we'll get, get rolling. So Lord Jesus, we do worship you today, and we thank you, and we praise you. We thank you for your mercy and goodness on our lives. We thank you, Jesus, for becoming a human man for us, for living a perfect life for us, for dying a torturous, perfect death for us. We thank you that you are indeed alive and risen. You are our risen Savior, Father. We just thank you and worship you today. We thank you for the living word of God. We thank you, Father. Father, we do pray a special mercy today. Over, uh, over all those who are struggling, over all those who are not feeling well. I, feel, I pray a special mercy and healing over, over my sister, Brooke. I, uh, I just ask you to be with her now and to comfort her and to have mercy on her, Father. I just pray healing in her physical body. Father, we pray your blessing and mercy and healing in Josh, our brother at Kingdom Discipleship, and uh, Father, just all those who are struggling with sickness and disease, we just ask for your mercy. We ask you to reveal yourself to them, Father, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and in Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now. We ask that you would give us eyes that see you and ears that hear you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, John 8, 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. 
The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The oldest ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus. This is a uh, an incredible, incredible story. Um, sorry about the shirt. I uh, my uh, IT guy Stephen had commented that uh, this is apparently the third time I've worn this shirt. It's not dirty. Um, I am a Dallas Cowboy fan. Um, and so he asked if it was really necessary for me to wear this shirt again. And I wanted to get one more wear in. Um, you know, and uh, thank you, Lord Jesus. You know, it gets hot sometimes. I don't wear it the whole day, but, I, you know, it's kind of nice wearing it for recording. So I'm, I'm sorry if the shirt is in any way off-putting. Okay. Verse 1. So you remember 53 that, you know, uh, chapter 7 ends after Jesus is, is in the temple courts. He's teaching. He is uh, he's teaching boldly in chapter 7 about himself and who he is. Uh, they try to seize him, but it says that in verse 30, it said it wasn't his time, so they couldn't even lay a hand on him. Then in uh, like 44, 45, the guards, uh, 45, the guards go and they were told to arrest him and silence him. But they said, you know, no, no one ever spoke like this man, they say in verse 46. Um, and and so b because it wasn't Jesus's time, we talked about this several times, they could try to seize him, but they couldn't even get a hand on him because he didn't allow them to. Jesus will ultimately surrender himself to the authorities when it's time for him to be taken and to be beaten and to be crucified, but this wasn't the time. Verse 53 says, then all the people, it says, then each went to his own home. Now we move over into chapter eight and it says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Presumably he went out there to, to sleep and to rest. And at verse two, it says, at dawn, he wakes up, at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. This is an interesting verse because 
They were trying to seize him, to kill him, to arrest him. And yet he keeps going back there. That dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts. Right next to the temple are the temple courts. Where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. Now remember, they tried to arrest him several times. Because they did not like Jesus' teaching. They did not like what he was saying. They did not like clearly that he made himself equal to God because he is God in his saying. They did not like the clear claims of him being Messiah. And so they wanted to silence him. The religious leaders, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law wanted to silence him. And so even the people, you know, um, when they heard some of the things he said, tried to run at him and seize him. But again, in verse 30, it says it was interesting because, you know, we talked about it. Did he have a force field around him or did he, you know, did he simply change the people's minds when they got close? So then it said no one laid a hand on him, even though they desired and ran at him and tried to. So try to picture that you have all these people, 30, 40, 50 people running at Jesus. We don't know how many to grab hold of him. But they can't even get a hand on them. Like there's some force field there or, or Jesus just said it's not happening. And so they just instantly change their run. No, I don't want to do this. So we don't know how it happened. But we see him boldly going right back the next day. Right back into the temple courts. All the people gathering around him that are there. And it says he sits down to teach him. Knowing that the, that they don't want him there, knowing that the religious leaders can't stand him, may, but yet he still goes and sits down and delivers the word of God to the people boldly. Again, fully knowing that nothing can happen to him before it's time. And you know, that's the truth for us as well. If you're in Jesus Christ today, and only if. If you know Jesus as your only Lord and Savior, if today you are trusting in Jesus, relying on Jesus, clinging to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul, knowing that only in Jesus Christ can you have eternal life and ultimately go to heaven, knowing he's your only hope for escaping hell. If you are truly a Christian today and Jesus is living in your heart, You've asked him to be the Lord of your life and to save you from your sin and to bring you to heaven when you die, knowing there's no other hope at all. If that's where you are today in Christ as a Christian, then just like Jesus, nothing can happen to you before your time. You are in the hands of God. You're a child of God. God the Father is your heavenly Father. Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and Master and King. God, the Holy Spirit, is your guide, your counselor, your comforter. And nothing can happen to you without the permission of the triune God. So if you're going through a difficulty, I mean, oftentimes we can bring it on by different aspects of sin in our life, but he's with us. He tells us very clear. You remember in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Maybe chapter 12. Um, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Um, 
He's he's always with us. And so anything that happens to us in Christ, if he allows it to happen, it has at least his passive approval. Meaning we may have brought it on ourselves, but we'll, we won't even know till we get to heaven how many infinitely amount of times, infinite amount of times that he's protected us from ourselves. So the point is, that just like Jesus knew that nothing was going to happen to him before his time, and he just went into the, the temple courts, sat down, and taught the people, even though they were trying to seize him and kill him there just the day before, you and I can have the same peace in Jesus Christ our Lord, that nothing can happen to us before the timing of the Lord. Thank you, Father. Verse 3. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, they made her stand before the group. These religious leaders despise Jesus. They haven't been able to arrest him. They haven't been able to silence him. So now they want to trap him. Have mercy, Lord Jesus. Have mercy. It says they brought in a woman caught in adultery. This, this, uh, the command in the Old Testament that was that, as they said in verse four, and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Verse five, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And that is what it said in the Old Testament law, but this was one of those things that was almost impossible to ever have proof because the Old Testament law said that it would have had to have been established by at least two witnesses. And to get two witnesses to actually see two people caught in the physical act of adultery would be almost impossible. Because this kind of thing, obviously even today, is, is extremely discreet. And it's always hidden. So how did they catch this woman in the act of adultery? It's clear the only way they would have done it is to set her up. To have known her, to known the type of woman she is. They would have set her up. They would have set her up with whatever the man was. You notice they didn't bring the man in. Kind of interesting, right? That the penalty should be the same for both the man and the woman, according to the law. But they only bring the woman in. They don't bring the man in. We, we can easily postulate why they haven't brought the man in. I'll say again. When they say, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women... The law said you would have to catch him, and that was almost impossible to do. How would you go to wherever the people are committing an act of adultery, which everyone knew was punishable by death? So obviously, when people were to do this, they would do it discreetly. Even today, when people commit adultery, they don't just do it in broad daylight so everyone can see it, right? It's always done secretly is where this sin of, of adultery is carried out. So this, this was, this almost never could this, 
could this particular law be carried out because almost never were there two or three witnesses to see the act. And again, you just, you had to actually see the act. You had to see the adultery happening. You had to see the two people having sexual intimacy. It couldn't be just a man and a woman sitting on a bed. Couldn't even just be a man and a woman laying on a bed. It's almost impossible. So this law almost never came to pass. It's also interesting that during this time, Israel was under Roman occupation and Rome had taken away the right for, for the religious leaders to, to execute people. You remember even in Jesus's, at the end of Jesus's life, when they want to execute him, they don't have permission to do it. They have to go to Pilate to do it. So it did, it does say this in the Old Testament. But again, it was almost impossible. This almost never happened because you never had the witnesses for the obvious reasons. All that's to say they almost certainly, if not certainly, had sent their own spies. They had set the woman up, undoubtedly knowing that she is the type of woman who would do this. And Jesus is going to clearly rebuke her for her sin and correct her for her sin. And they do all this because they want to find a way to trap Jesus. They want to, uh, they, 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 they've tried to arrest him. They can't do that. So now they want to trap him. They want to make him look bad. So they, 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 they set up this apparently no-win situation for Jesus and think they got him now, right? Because if Jesus just says, excuses what she's done, which he never does, but if he just excuses her, well, then he's not obeying the Bible. But at the same time, if he just says, go ahead and execute her, then he has no mercy. And they knew that he was one who had mercy. So you can see that, you could just see a diabolical intent to trap Jesus in these religious leaders. You can see just this overwhelming, manipulative, horrible desire to trap Jesus. And you know, sometimes in our lives, these are religious leaders. These are people who are supposed to be walking with God and fear him. And sometimes, man, we, we, we can see this even in the church today. We can just see this, this spirit where we just want to, where we want to humiliate somebody, where we want to expose somebody, where we just want to make somebody look bad for our own ends or to make ourselves look righteous. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. Forgive us, Lord. I mean, we ought to be afraid. If we want to expose someone else or make someone else look bad, we, we ought to, man, we ought to look at our own sin. We ought to look at our own lives. And we're going to see Jesus is going to do some things here that's going to make them aware of their own sin before they start throwing stones and stoning this woman and killing her. Teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Where is the man? If you 
catch a woman in the act, that means there had to be a man there. You notice they don't have the man, okay? That speaks for itself. Why is it they don't have the man? They obviously don't have the man, again, because it was part of the whole plan, okay? And Jesus knows this. He could have easily asked, it's funny. You said you caught her. I don't, I don't see the man here because undoubtedly he's one of their number, probably. He's one of their boys. You know, he's one of their instruments or tools that they use for nasty, disgusting, foul, manipulating situations like this. Let it not be named among us. They made her stand before the group. They didn't have to do this. If their heart was pure and they truly had a heart for the word of God and they were truly concerned about the woman's sin, they that if they had the witnesses, there was no need at all to bring her publicly before this massive group and throw her before Jesus. So we can see that really wasn't their heart, right, Landon? They, they really were not concerned, Lauren, about the woman's sin as much as they were using her as a puppet, as a tool, as an instrument to just to fulfill their own ends in trapping Jesus and trying to destroy Jesus. It's diabolical. Not only do they have a heart, but they'll use other people again. If their heart was true, no need to bring her publicly. They have the witnesses. They can go privately before their own counsel, but they want to make a show of this. And they want to humiliate. They don't care that they're humiliating this woman. Utter humiliating her in front of the entire temple courts. Forcing her before Jesus. That was their first mistake. Unwittingly, they didn't know that when they bring this woman before Jesus, it's done now. That Jesus is going to find a way to protect her, not excusing her sin, but to protect her, forgive her, and not condemn her, and drive them away again. See, I'm all worked up now. They thought they were going to catch Jesus last couple of chapters and just uh, just arrest him, seize him, kill him. Nope. And now they're going to they're going to trap him. Nope. They actually thought bringing somebody before Jesus would would benefit them as ridiculous as that is. They somehow thought that they don't know who they're dealing with, clearly. They thought that bringing this woman before Jesus would achieve, would achieve their own ends when all it did is it going to drive them into conviction of their own sin, convict her of her sin, and everybody's going to go away. Hopefully many of them got saved from this. And in our lives today, the only place to go is before Jesus, <laughs> Right? These people thought they were going to get their way by going before Jesus. If you, if you take somebody before Jesus or take yourself before Jesus, ultimately, it's going to be Jesus who's, who brings the situation to what it should be. Ultimately, it's going to be Jesus who brings the truth. 
Because in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Only in Jesus. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? See, they're, they're, verse 6, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Again, if he just excuses it and says, let her go, they could say he's not following the word of God, which he did. Or if he just says, executor, you know, he, he just, he looks like a tyrant with no mercy at all. Verse 6, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. The posture of Jesus here, there's a possibility that the woman was thrown to the ground just like she's trash in just a disgusting fashion. So there is a possibility. Either way, Jesus bending down. This is God. It, it does show a humility in Christ and a love in Christ. And it's his posture shows a willingness to meet this woman where she is. So there's a chance he bends down and looks at her eye to eye. It's so powerful. His posture is showing a humility in Christ. You notice they question him. And he doesn't say a word to him. They say to him, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. They were using this question as a trap. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't answer them. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Apparently, Jesus could write. <laughs> um, and we don't know what he's writing. Scholars have postulated for 2,000 years what Jesus was writing. Verse 7. When they kept on questioning him. So remember, this is publicly. There's very possibly hundreds of people around. And he's writing on the ground. And he's not paying any attention to him. It's like he doesn't even hear him. So they keep peppering him with questions. When they kept on questioning him, Corinne, he straightened up and said to them. So now he stands up, looks them directly in the eye, and says, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Yeah. When they kept on questioning him, badgering him, trying to execute their plan, he straightens up again, May, looks him directly in the eye and says, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Verse 8, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. <laughs> Strong, right? When he said this, he wasn't speaking about the fact, he wasn't just saying that, you know, if any of you don't have any sin in your life at all, because every human being is sinful. He wasn't saying that. He was actually confronting them 
on everything. He was confronting them about this whole scene. He was confronting them about the fact that they set this woman up. He was confronting them about the fact that they, they didn't bring the man. He was confronting them about the fact that this whole thing is a manipulation to trap him. And they know what he's saying. Again, he wasn't saying just about any old sin, like if any of you are perfect. He wasn't saying that. Because we are called, as Jesus is going to do here in a verse or two, he's going to, uh, you know, rebuke this woman and call her out on her lifestyle and tell her to, 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 to stop having this lifestyle. He's going to correct her and tell her that she needs to stop living in this sin. So he's speaking to them about this whole situation. And that's probably what's written on the ground. He knows that the whole thing is a setup. He knows it's a trap. He knows they've utterly humiliated and destroyed this woman's life. Just the heart to do what they've done. And so he's challenging them, not on just general sin, but on specific sin related to this incident. Challenging them clearly that their hearts are not pious, they are not pure, and this is an agenda-driven scene in every way, and he knows it. Basically saying, if any of you is without sin in this matter of what you've just done here today, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this. So apparently the writing on the ground has something to do with it, right? At this. And this is, uh, this is actually a good sign. This is going to show that these religious leaders, their consciences have not been seared. That they were able to be convicted, right, Tom? They, they were able to understand that they were sinful. Their hearts were not so hardened because it says at this, those who heard began to go away. When they heard Jesus's words, they were convicted. Are you convicted when you hear Jesus's words? Do they convict you? Do they cut us to the heart? At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Again, imagine if this woman is standing and Jesus lowers himself to write on the ground. God. He postures himself. Just You, you got to see the humility in this. When he stoops down, he's now below the woman. Or again, if they had thrown her to the ground and she got up. But, you know, he doesn't have to tower over you. He's not trying to intimidate you. Jesus doesn't get his way by physically intimidating you. He got his way by the truth, by driving you to the truth. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her. Okay, so, you know, he's, he's right on the ground. They're all going away. He's not even looking at them. 
Do you see how he stood in between the woman? She was at the face of death. She was at death's front door. He had the power to immediately say execute her and they would have stoned her to death right there. But Jesus stands in the way. Here's this woman right here. And here's the angry mob. And Jesus just gets in the way. To the one of you who has not sinned, let him throw the first stone at her. You know, we're all this woman. All of us are vile sinners. Right, Lauren? And Jesus has come in the way, has gotten in between the wrath of God and the right payment for our sin. I mean, we have a picture here again. Jesus is even going to take, in a certain way, this sin onto himself. Look what he says. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Romans 8.1 says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And undoubtedly this woman came to faith in Christ. He spared her. The law did say that she should be, be stoned. But Jesus took that penalty on himself. You understand that at the cross of Christ, all the punishment we deserved and the judgment we deserved and the hell we deserved, Jesus took on himself for all of our sin. He took the punishment for all of our sin. Every sin you or I committed as a believer in Christ has been credited to Jesus Christ at the cross and the perfect righteous life he lived when he walked the earth has been credited to us by God. And that exchange is the heart of the Christian gospel. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, they didn't. Because Jesus stood in between the woman, wins, and the angry mob. Jesus stood in between the woman and her killers. Jesus stood in, the, in between the woman and her executors. And he beat them all back with reality, showing them that they have no right to condemn anyone as foul and vulgar as they are. And you know, it's the same for us. We have to call right, right, and wrong, wrong. Jesus does challenge the woman. Go now and leave your life of sin. He's clearly saying that she has a lifestyle, that immorality has been a lifestyle for her. And whatever else, she's just been beginning a life, been living a lifestyle that's not biblical. Go now and leave your life of sin. He is challenging her clearly to live a godly and biblical and Christ-like life. And we need to do the same. We need to challenge ourselves and challenge one another. But we have no right to pronounce judgment over someone's sin. Just like they could not pronounce it, 
We cannot pronounce it. Only God himself can manage that. And it's only in Christ alone that the judgment for sin will be put to Christ and not us. If we have not received Jesus Christ, we will be judged for our sin. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. Every human being in the world needs Jesus, just like this woman did. You and I need Jesus to act on our behalf the same way he acted on this woman's behalf. We need him to stand in the way of divine justice. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not the words that save us. But if you'll genuinely go to Jesus and humble yourself before him and declare your belief that he is the son of God and he did come and live a perfect life for you and die a perfect death for you. And if you will throw yourself at the cross and humbly ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life and to come into your heart and to forgive you from your sin, declaring your full and complete trust and reliance and confidence in him alone, clinging to him alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. Like this woman, you will be pardoned. You will be forgiven. And you will spend eternity in heaven. Father, we thank you for the living word of God. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for this incredible account, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, again, just for your just for your profound, Lord, insight and power and knowing, Lord. We just thank you that you are our God. We thank you, Lord, that, that you spared this woman. We thank you that, that these men were convicted of their own sin and that their conscience wasn't seared. And I pray you'd convict us today in the same way and that you would spare us, Lord. We thank you for your mercy and goodness on our lives. Father, we love you and we bless you. We thank you for the living word of God, the scriptures. Holy Spirit, we ask you to go ahead of us this day. Lead us and guide us, we pray, giving us eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.